0: And a good day to you, EOB Mafia. Welcome back to another value-packed installment of Evolution of Brand, powered by Absolute Evolution Branding. I'm Jason Sircone, and today on episode 135, I'm sharing the mic with author, coach, trainer, and keynote speaker Merit Khan for an in-depth conversation about the world of sales. As we tap into the evolution of Merit's brand today, we'll be discussing the definition behind emotional intelligence and how it applies to your sales practices, the critical role of mindset and focus when it comes to positioning and selling your offer, the three most important aspects of sales, regardless of industry, product, or service, and the advantages of always keeping an open mind. All of this and so much more is ready and waiting for you on episode 135 of Evolution of Brand, right after a quick word from yours truly. You know, we talk a lot about thought leadership and authority status here on Evolution of Brand, and the reason for that is the guests I've had the privilege of connecting with focus on this each and every day. And I guarantee you, if you ask any of them if that status has made a difference in everything they do the answer you'd receive would be an emphatic hell yes across the board. Do you want to establish authority and become a thought leader in your niche? Then it's time for us to connect. I want to teach you the best approach I know for attracting new clients, increasing your profits, expanding your network, and achieving game-changing authority status. It's time for your brand to go from unknown to undeniable. Visit enhanceyourauthority.com today to get started. Merrit Khan, welcome to Evolution of Brand. Say hello to the EOB Mafia and share a time that you listened to yourself instead of what others told you was right, and it led to a major accomplishment.
1: <laughs> okay, well, hello everybody. Uh, the time I listened to myself led to a major accomplishment. Would be when uh, actually I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with a recent thing. I've been listening to myself over other people for many, many years now. But last week I was in Vegas and I did a brand new keynote for an, a big corporate uh, association conference and I had planned for a while to do my pretty standard keynote, gets, gets good reviews, but I had this inkling that since this was a business in the recreation space that I could have a little bit more fun with them. So I incorporated video clips from my one woman comedy show and infused that into leadership lessons. And all of my speaker buddies said, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't, I don't know if that's going to play well. And I was like, I think they're going to love it. And they freaking loved it. So (laughs) always listen to your gut instinct.
0: What were some of the feedback that you got? I'm sure you had some folks coming up to you after the presentation ended to pick your brain and to tell you how great you did. What was some of that feedback that you received?
1: Uh, Well, a couple of things that were for fun, several people said, I really want to go to see your one woman comedy show. So that was (laughs) a nice uh, (laughs) unintended consequence. Um, But one of the things that I talked about in the program was that I learned some really amazing leadership lessons, what I call opening questions from my father. And I literally gave out my dad's email address in the program. And then my dad emailed me. He's like, "I'm getting all these emails from people. What what, what is happening? Um, saying that you're they were in your audience, and it, it was just kind of a fun a fun thing that you know people were actually responding to what I was saying on stage in the moment. It was fun.
0: Awesome. Well, Merritt, I'm really looking forward to our time together today here on Evolution of Brand. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us here and bringing your impact to the mic. We're going to be diving into emotional intelligence and sales and elevating your efforts by opening other people's minds. So definitely a lot to cover today. But before we sink our teeth into all of that, Merit, take a moment to tell the EOB Mafia who you are, what you do, and how you're transforming the world with everything you do.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, you can pretty much just uh, sum me up with the ABCs. Uh, I'm an author, a business owner, a comedian, and a sales expert. So ABCs, plural, S. (laughs) Um, I'm also a mom, but I file it under comedian and sales expert these days. So my company is called Select Sales Development. We spell it S-E-L-L-E-C-T, not because we don't know how to spell the word select, but because we teach people how to sell, but not be salesy. We want you to get selected. For your ideal types of projects by your ideal clients. And so we teach a process about, you know, how do you get selected more often, more, you know, frequently and by better uh, prospects. I think that is, you know, just something that I've always been able to do. I've had my business since 1998. We've gone through some different branding experiences and uh, really centering in on that select as our philosophy, because we really focus on companies that are selling something creative, custom, complex. It's not something where you could just click here, buy now. So it requires a sales professional having a real expert level conversation. And when I work with people, they're generally not salespeople, quote unquote. They're really good at what they do and they're experts and they don't want to be seen as salesy, so how do you teach people like that to use their expertise to have deeper level conversations so that people can select to work with them? And that's really the the essence of what we do.
0: I talked about this with Diane Helbig on a past episode of Evolution of Brand and listeners, you can find that in the EOB archives. I feel like man, I, I look back on a uh, I don't want to call it a lifetime of sales, but I've really been in one way, shape, or form in doing sales since I was 13. And it just seems like it's, maybe I'm wrong. You Please tell me if I'm wrong. It's only recent that this idea of these powerful conversations and building these relationships has had the emphasis it deserves in the sales space. Thinking back to all of these things that I've done in the sales world from baseball cards and football cards when I was 13 years old, up to the high-ticket items that I've sold in my lifetime. That seems to be the most important critical element in this, but we still have sales meetings where we're constantly talking about what are you gonna do to drive home this sale right now, today, and get that one call close. Mm-hmm. Where where did this get met? where where is this disconnect, in your opinion, to where we're constantly being fed one thing from the hardcore salespeople of the world. But when you really boil down, it's all about being human and just understanding what somebody wants and taking time to listen to their needs.
1: I think there's a lot that has to do with what you're actually selling and what the sales process is. So, you know, I could see more like, what are you doing? One call, close. There's a very different sales strategy and process in an area where you're a commo- selling a commodity in a one-call-close close one call close business. It's much different if you're selling something high-ticket, complex, that requires a, a lot more of a conversation to get to the close, where you're building trust and relationships. And so I've never really played in the space where it's like that high-pressure, close, close, close today. I Sometimes I think about, you know, at a... Like there's some there's companies that you know you're walking along the street and they come up to you with a, a clipboard and they compliment your hair and it's like okay I know I know what you're doing like no one's just complimenting my hair when I'm just walking down the street like I know you've got an agenda and that's very different than manufacturing I, I work with uh, manufacturers and distributors and that's a very different sales cycle, right? So I think that professional selling is in a totally different realm. And that's where we have to really understand where does our expertise help us and hurt us in a sales conversation? And where what are the right questions that we want to ask, not to be salesy and aggressive and pushy, but to really seek to understand what the issues are for people so that we can answer the right question so that we can have the right response. And I I guess one of the things that that pops into my mind is something that I talked about in my keynote last week. And that was that, you know, there's this myth that we're supposed to act as if we are, you know, the success we want to be. And I think a lot of people, salespeople in particular get trapped by this myth um, I wrote about it in my first book, Myth Shift, Challenging the Truths That Sabotage Success, which I published under my married name, which I'm, I am i redecided my name. So you won't find it under MeritCon, but you'll find it under Guest, G-E-S-T. But uh, if, at some point I'll redo the cover. Anyway, my point is that you don't want to act as if you've got it all figured out. You want to ask as if you really do want to help. So instead of, acting as if we've got the right solution for everybody in every problem that might that they might have. We want to ask questions as if we really want to make sure that we're solving the right problem with the right solution. And I think that's one of the most important things that we have to keep in mind in sales. And one of the reasons that, you know, those pushy sales, you know, aggressive salespeople get such a bad rap and kind of ruin it for the rest of us who are in a consultative business using our expertise to answer the right questions.
0: Yeah. Those bad eggs really do bring a dark cloud over the efforts that we're trying to bring to the world that are good. I constantly see these types of things being funneled to people through social media and it just makes me cringe and makes me hope that people aren't truly buying into that, even though to some degree, I know somebody is, this is working to some degree or else it wouldn't be out there, but it can make people put up this defense mechanism, which I think is something that when I think of that with, with sales as a whole, that sleazy dude from the parking lot with the plaid coat, that's trying to sell you a lemon. That's going to (laughs) every underhanded possible tactic that he has in his arsenal. It can make a person feel like they got burnt. And when that person scorches the earth, it makes it so hard for the rest of us to bring real value to the world because everybody already has this preconceived notion that you're just trying to sell me something and it's all about you and not me. So going to that next level with a powerful conversation, to me, that's what it's all about. And along the way, you get to learn something about somebody. You may connect with somebody on this new level that you never would have imagined. But if you're always just thinking about making the sale and not actually having that connection, all of that is lost.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. I think what has occurred to me and, and this is what my next book is going to be all about is how do we open somebody's mind before we even get to that sales conversation? Because I'm sure you've come across these people, you know, in the course of business or your business career, where they're just kind of like, I already know what I'm going to do, right? You might have the best solution way better than what they were going to do, but they can't even hear it. They're completely closed minded to anything other than the idea that they came up with because, you know, they came up with the best ideas or something that they've already done or a vendor that they've already used or something like that. They're just they're just kind of, you know, closed to any new ideas. And I remember thinking about this concept when I was uh, teaching people how to be more effective addressing an RFP, right? So a request for proposal, that's a pretty standard thing in business, you know, and company will look at three different options and they'll, you know, gather all these proposals and you're supposed to put your best foot forward and all of that. And I was, I had a bunch of clients and they were really frustrated because that was their sales process. And they knew if they didn't have a relationship with that client beforehand, That it was probably just an exercise that the company had to go through to collect a few bids and do their due diligence, quote unquote. And then they were just going to go with whoever they were going to go with beforehand. And so I kind of just felt like accidentally came up with this idea of, you know, the first step to a closed deal is an open mind. And now that's, you know, a key premise of the work that I do in coaching and consulting and in my keynotes because nobody is out there talking about that. It's all the things like we, the sales process and sales training, myself, my own business included for more than 20 years, I've taught people what to do once the sales conversation starts. What I was missing was what to do before the conversation starts. How do you open somebody's mind, prepare them to be even able to hear New ideas and fresh thinking. because if they're not open to it, it doesn't matter. You can have the best solution on the in the on the planet. They're not going to hear it. And so that's really the start of the sales process is. How do I open your mind so that you can receive the value I'm about to share in a in a good back and forth, you know sourceful conversation?
0: Well, that really speaks to the state of the world right now. And you think about the (laughs) divisiveness that we are experiencing, especially on the political front, definitely not going to go down that road. But ultimately, (laughs) when you see these types of conversations break out online, it's one side or the other. There is no gray area. And if you you don't come over to my side, well, I can't talk to you. And there's no way you could possibly change my line of thinking and vice versa. It's crazy to think that that's what we've become. And we miss out on so much. and it-
1: I absolutely. I mean, i I really I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. the the divisiveness and and here's what's really fascinating, Jason, because we want everybody wants to be seen as an open-minded person. There was some research that I came across uh, while I was putting together information for the my new book coming out, which is literally called "Are You Open to?" And there was this uh, study that was done out of Pepperdine University. Ninety. Well, they asked people questions, right? So they asked, um, "Do you think you're more? Do you think you're an open-minded person?" Everybody in the in the you know surveyed said yes. Do you feel like you're more open-minded than the average person? Ninety-five percent of respondents said yes to that question. Now. I don't know about you, Jason, but back in my day, when when we use when we learned old math, ninety five percent couldn't be better than the average. It just doesn't work out that way. But the learning there is that we all want to be perceived by other people as an open minded person. And so, if I'm going to ask you in a, in the sales world, if I ask you, are you interested in hearing about the solutions that we provide with to you know companies that have Issues similar to what you've described to me. You can tell me that you're not interested and you can sleep very well at night being a nice person. But it would be very hard for you to say to say, you know, if I were to ask you, are you open to hearing about the solutions that we've provided to clients in similar situations? It would be very hard for you to say you're not open to that because that says something about who you are. It's about your identity. And 95% of people don't want to be seen as closed-minded. So I'm using the psychology of how people want to be perceived out in the world, and I'm just applying the language so that their mind is open to hearing the conversation. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to end up doing business together. And I don't mean for people to just be hammering people. Are you open to this? Are you open to that? Are you open to this other thing? Like you can't be obvious about it, but when it's intended to open up someone's mind to have a sourceful conversation, then it's it's a strategy that's in a sense good for everybody involved, and I think that's an important thing for us to remind remember as sales professionals is that first our job is to open someone's mind to receive our value, and it's as simple as are you open to? That's it's really not more complicated. I'm writing a you know there's about forty thousand words that I've written in the book, but <laughs> The the four most important are right there on the cover. Still, you should buy the book, but <laughs> but but uh,
0: you open know, your mind and, and, and buy the yeah. damn book. Yes,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the but the answer is right on the cover. I, it, hidden in plain sight. I'm
0: thinking of uh, an interview that took place on the documentary that Netflix ran called The Social Dilemma. I cannot remember the girl's name, but she had mentioned what she does is she makes it a habit to follow people that she disagrees with. And the reason being is that she can have conversations where her mind is going to be opened up to new perspectives. When I heard that, I said that's one of the most intelligent approaches to social media that we can all adapt because to me it's triggering a mindset that we can then apply to everything else we do so we can become a stronger sales professional we can come become a stronger brand builder because we're welcoming these new perspectives into our world and a lot of times it's just from having a simple conversation so unless you're averse to actually wanting to talk to another human being which unfortunately some people really are because they just feel like it's going to be a hassle to have to hear something that will never change their mind and they'll have this line of thinking until they fall off the chair. Again, I said it before, I feel like you miss out on so many opportunities to grow. And in this case, an opportunity to make a connection with someone that will allow you to close sales. And when you make that connection, that can lead to so many other sales because they're going to say, listen, go work with Merit. Because Merritt listens to you, truly wants to make a connection to help you understand what it is that, not maybe not make you understand what you need, but you tell her what you need. And she's going to tell you how what she has to offer is going to make that happen. You're right. costing yourself opportunities by not following that path.
1: 100%. Yeah. You know, first you have to open their mind to receiving value, then you have to know how to bring down the defense wall. So that you can have a really straightforward conversation, right? Because prospects, they're they've been sort of trained and brainwashed by bad salespeople over the course of time, where you know they have to protect themselves from being sold. And I, I was doing this uh, little demonstration on stage the other day, and we, you know, I said uh, I said to the guy, I brought a guy up on stage, and I said, you know, have you ever been in a fist fight? And he was like. I try not to I'm like, okay, well, regardless, right? Like we all like, there's two participants in a fist fight. There's the aggressor who's coming at you with their fist. And there's the guy protecting themselves from being hit. And, and they both have a fist, but they're, they're used in different ways. Right. So one is, is kind of like pushing. If you imagine a closed fist as somebody's closed mind, right. They're, They're sort of pushing their ideas onto somebody else. And then there's somebody else that's sort of bracing themselves from being hit with these ideas or solutions or a punch, right? And so if you think about it like that, if everybody's kind of closed in that their way is the best way, the only way, then there is no opportunity to hear anything else. And so that's why, you know, if you're, if you're holding on tight there is no other possibility but if you open your fist your mind there's all kinds of new opportunities possibilities solutions and even if you got the the questions and a it, from a sales strategy and tactic perspective wrong just having that foundation of of being open and creating a space for a real conversation to occur that in and of itself gives you more likelihood that you're going to find the right language, that that the right words are going to come out of your mouth. So I've, for my whole business career, uh, never really taught in scripts. Like some sales training companies would teach you, like, use this script. The problem is that then you sound like everybody else. And as soon as you sound like everybody else and it doesn't sound authentic, I, I tune out because I know you're just saying what you were taught to say. So I've always taught in formulas and formulas allow it to feel authentic and real for you. Like you and I could follow the same formula to start a meeting so that we make sure we get all the elements into that conversation, but it's gonna sound completely different coming from you than it is from me because you know we're different people, we have different style and different experiences. And that way it's authentic for whoever is the listener. But one of the formulas that I teach for setting expectations in a sales process. I call it PLAN. And uh, it stands for PLAN, uh, Purpose Logistics Logistics, Agenda Next Step. And all four of those pieces of that formula are really important at any stage of the sales process so that you can kind of like everybody knows where they're at in the sales process and you all know what's the clearly defined next step. And so how you use the PLAN formula is going to be different based on the different parts of the, you know, the different stages of the sales process that you're in and and who you are, but the elements of it are the same. And I think that gives people a lot of freedom to know that they're getting all the right pieces of the process into the conversation, but they're not restricted by this script.
0: Mare, I want to talk about emotional intelligence with you avid listeners of evolution of brand now i had the privilege of talking with daniel tolson about this subject you can find that episode in the archives emotional intelligence obviously it plays such a key role in the sales approach in the sales just the overall sales dynamic tell us from your perspective what emotional intelligence is all about and how people can utilize it to their advantage to strengthen their sales ability, and ultimately strengthen their ability to connect with other human beings?
1: I love this question, Jason, because emotional intelligence has been around for a while. When I first started talking about it, very few people raised their hands when I asked, you know, how are you familiar with it? Now people are familiar with it, but not as familiar uh, from the perspective of how do we use this um, as leaders or sales professionals. And so that's really The space that I play. I I take my background in sales and working with entrepreneurs and business owners and infuse that with some emotional intelligence strategies. So for example, first of all, emotional intelligence is how well you understand your own emotional wiring and the impact you have on other people, which is incredibly important as leaders because it's the kind of thing where the leader walks into the office and Based on that leader's mood, everybody else takes their cue how they're supposed to behave, right? And so there's a lot that's happening before you say a single word or do a single thing. It's all about who you're being in that moment and people are picking up on the emotions. Now in sales, it's incredibly important because sales is about relationships and In order to have relationships with people, emotions are involved. Unless you're selling to a bot on some piece of technology, you're going to deal with a human being and human beings have emotions. So understanding your own emotions and the impact you have on others is incredibly important to being effective in a sales capacity. For example, I know we're all over the the pandemic, but it was such a good universally shared experience that I'll give you an example. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I had my clients calling me, like, I'm not, they were saying, I'm not sure how to make sales calls right now. And what I recognized was that there were very quickly two different uh, approaches, right? A highly empathetic sales professional with lower assertiveness was making calls that that sounded like this hey, Jason, oh my gosh, are are you okay? I'm just checking in. How's your family? This is such a crazy time. Like, I'm here for you, whatever you need, right? And they would hang up the phone and feel good. Now, the other side of the spectrum was the highly assertive sales professional with very low empathy. And their phone calls sounded like this. Yeah, yeah, pandemic, schmandemic. We were talking about that deal. Are we still doing this? Did you still want 10 of these? Like, that this whole other like global thing that'll work itself out so are we are we doing this right and neither profile was effective what would serve everybody best in that situation was a balance of empathy and assertiveness and this is what i found myself preaching at that time because none of us like I, i'm like well let me think about you know how i've coached people through that other global pandemic which didn't happen. <laughs> like I didn't know yeah, what to do in right. the situation. Oh, there were a bunch of experts that were like, let me share with you how to do this in this new, new marketplace. And I'm like, really? Because when were you ever in this before? How do you know? So I just came at it from a real curious perspective, open to new ideas. And my my coaching to people was to balance, you know, there's 15 attributes I can assess in emotional intelligence, but those two in particular at that time were incredibly Well, useful when they were balanced. And so if you had empathy and balance with assertiveness, it would sound like this. Jason, there's, I mean, there's so many things that are out of our control right now. First of all, I want to check in. How are you? How's your family? How's your team? Is there anything you need? Like, I I don't know. Is there anything I can do to help? And you kind of have that part of the conversation and say, Well, you know, of all the things that are clearly way beyond the scope of what we can control right now, are you open to having a conversation about that one piece of the puzzle that we can control, which is what we've been talking about with in regards to your branding, blah blah blah, right? So that's you know, I can be assertive because I have a solution or uh, you know an idea that is helpful in this one area, but I can also demonstrate empathy because none of us knew what was happening at that time. When I work with somebody on improving their emotional intelligence, I'm not trying to move everything from you know, a low scoring quality to being a super high score. I'm looking at where's the balance between the different attributes and how do the imbalances, what are the stories that those imbalances tell us? Like optimism being out of balance with reality check. Like that's a... That's a big one in sales, right? Like somebody tells you, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. I think we're definitely going to work together. And you hear that through optimistic ears, but you don't ask like reality check type of questions, which could mean that you're not going to close that deal. Um, And if you're too focused on reality check without a sense of optimism, that's like you're playing devil's advocate all day long, and that guy's a jerk to be around. Like nobody wants to play devil's advocate twenty four seven. You want to kind of see – you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think things in balance is really where the magic is when it comes to emotional intelligence and sales.
0: I want to dig into that a little bit more while it's fresh. So if somebody has those optimistic ears, because, you know, in working with salespeople before and even being in that position myself, you hear that and you instantaneously, instantaneously start to think of all these positives and you're popping champagne corks and where are we going to go celebrate on Friday night? not taking that next step to really make sure that things are going to close because what happens next week or the next day it unravels or they've signed with somebody else. There's a number of different scenarios that can unfold, but how does someone overcome those optimistic ears get to that reality check moment and what types of questions should they be asking to make sure that everything stays on a fluid path to closing that deal?
1: Okay. So let's unpack that. I think the first thing that you want to do is you want to get, the truth about how much of an imbalance you really have between those two particular attributes. So, you know, you can, there's lots of emotional intelligence assessments out there in the marketplace. Um, I do think it's one of those things, and maybe I'm a little brainwashed, but I do think it's one of those things where it really is critical to understand your wiring through the eyes of an expert who's really deliberately trained in understanding how those imbalances can show up in particular leadership or sales situations. That's going to be an important factor. Also, make sure that whatever assessment tool you're using is highly scientifically validated. Um, otherwise, there are ways that you can game the test and that doesn't serve anybody. So you definitely want to choose a, a an assessment report. I use one called Multi Health Systems. They're out of Toronto, Canada, and they are probably the premier company in the world with the most scientifically validated tools so i'll say that the second part of what you're asked you ask me is so the first part is know the reality of how you are wired and how you know what the scores are so you can see the imbalance from there you'll know if you need to adjust a little or a lot and the best ways to adjust is to always lean into your strengths so find those other areas in your report, those other 15 attributes, and find the areas where you can lean into a strength to bring up a weaker area. And I think the best thing to do is to, you can actually do what I call name the game, which is you might actually say to a prospect, listen, I I tend to be a very optimistic person and I want to make sure that I don't miss any cues And so you just told me that you like the deal that we've put together and what we've, and we've had a good conversation. I just want to make sure, is there anything I've missed, you know, any, something that I should have asked that I didn't ask, like if there was a reason we weren't going to move forward with this, you know, what would that be? And I think it's just a way to kind of make sure that you're not hearing things through your happy ears and that you're assessing the reality of the situation.
0: Strong communication has been a topic that has come up a lot here on Evolution of Brand. And I feel like, once again, this is just another prime example of how that strong communication can make or break all of these different sales being seen through to completion. Because if those optimistic, happy ears take over, everybody's, okay, great. Because I think it's one of those things where you're just so scared to lose it. You want to get away. Okay, cool. Talk to you later. Because if you say the wrong thing, it's going to botch the whole the whole freaking McGilla. But if you actually were to ask some questions that dig deeper, not assuming that the sale is done, that maybe they're just on that right path or take, they took the first step and indicated that there's something there, now you can go into that mindset of, all right, there's still some work to be done. Let's make sure that we're not celebrating. And as I said before, popping those champagne corks prematurely but we're actually doing everything it takes because clearly they're seeing some value in what you have to offer unless they're just blowing smoke up your ass, which is something that can happen, unfortunately, but I feel if you do your job well and you present all of the benefits that it's going to bring to this person and help them get the transformation they seek, it's almost foolish for them not to move forward, but you still have to do your part to ensure that they do so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If somebody tells me like, "Oh my gosh, I really love this. What you put together, we're so excited to have you as our keynote speaker." I would say, "That's great. I really appreciate hearing that." I was actually just a little bit surprised that you said that just now. I wasn't sure if we were, if you were feeling that. What what did I miss? Like, what has you so excited? And that kind of reinforces to them like, "Oh well, I love what you said about this, and I love what you said about that." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, great." And then my next question is, "Well, what would you like me to do now? What's the next step?" you know, to, to move this forward. And I just always want to make sure that I'm testing so that I'm just not making sure I'm making sure that I'm just not hearing what I want to hear, but that they really are excited about whatever it is that we've talked about.
0: What that speaks to that I like is digging a little bit deeper than most people are willing to go. And this is when I talk to other podcasters, this is something that I preach is that you have to be willing to go beneath the surface to get some strong responses from people. So if you're hosting a show, you have to ask some questions that guests typically aren't asked so they can talk about something that they typically don't talk about. That makes for compelling content that listeners can latch onto and want to come back to for even more. So they can listen to an episode and say, wow, that was great. Wonder what else this person is doing in their podcast. And that's how you experience that true tangible growth with your podcast production. And I feel as if all of these scenarios that we're covering today speak to the same principle. If you dig a little bit deeper, you're going to find out more information and it's going to help you overcome some objections that you may face in the future as well, because you can recall these instances where they sold themselves and said, this is why I believe this is for me. You can use that to your advantage to help get you to where you need to be. an awesome approach I get that that makes me excited those types of things I I love the the idea of digging deeper and it's one of those things I always think about this with my daughter because she probably just pisses her off because I'll do that when she's you know you know dealing with a teenager how's school today? good and I'll oh no you're not getting out the hook. tell me one thing you learned oh cool well what what was it within that that really got you excited because why did you pick that as the one thing you know what I mean like She's like, oh, yeah, my dad's a podcaster, so he's going to constantly be asking these <laughs> questions. But to me, that's really what's at the heart of getting to know somebody and what really makes them tick is by digging deeper. And yeah. you exemplified it perfectly, Merit. Thanks. So I think another important factor in all of this is mindset. And I know something you're very strong on, and I think we've already gotten a big indication of it through our conversation today, is the sales mindset that a professional needs to have when he's he or she is in this situation with another person. So yeah. tell us more about what you define the sales mindset to be and whether the strength of our sales mindset is helping our cause or hurting our cause in the grand scheme of things.
1: Wow. Okay. So good question. There's, um, I think there's really three things that we need to focus on and be strong in to be successful in sales, right? And so that's going to be mindset, what you think, mechanics, what you say, and motion, what you do, right? So all three of those are going to be important in really to be successful in anything. And when I ask audiences which of those three is going to be the most important, generally they'll say some combination of all three. I'll usually get some more hands going up for mindset. And then I'll ask, well, which one do you spend most of your time and effort learning? And it's most often mechanics, right? The mechanics of selling. What do I say? Where, you know, where am I in the sales process? They go very tactical or they focus on the doing, like make more calls, close more deals, go to more networking events, ask for more money, all the, the doing stuff being in motion. So mindset is often left as a afterthought When it's really the most important foundational piece, because your mindset is going to dictate if you don't think something is possible, then you're not going to be in action. And it doesn't be like, why bother improving your skill set? Right. So if you if you can understand mindset now, the challenge has been how specifically do you work on strengthening your mindset? Like it feels very airy fairy. Like, do I meditate? Do I do affirmations? I, do I have post Post? I've done all the things, right? Like post-its all over my house and in my car and on my mirror and I'm worth this and I'm amazing and like all that stuff. But mindset is really three things that once you break them down, uh, my discovery was that people could really start to work on them. They knew better what they were doing. So I define them as your internal mindset. That's what you say to yourself, your behavioral mindset. That's really what your actions say to other people. And then there's your emotional mindset. And that's like what we talked about with understanding your own emotional wiring and how they how you impact other people. So I think with the internal mindset is one of the most important things to distinguish. And one of the exercises I take my clients through is a beliefs inventory. Like, let's look at what do you believe about decision makers, the type of people you're comfortable interacting with, the kind of money that you are comfortable talking about? You know, what were the money scripts that you got growing up? Was it like money doesn't grow on trees or, you know, save all your pennies, like, Money is the root of all evil. Like you're not gonna be a good salesperson if you think that. <laughs> like that's you're not gonna make a lot of money if you think that. So, my question to people is let's get those beliefs. I don't need to sit you on the the lounge chair in a therapist's office to find out where you got that or how long you had that or which uncle imprinted that on your brain. I'm not worried about that so much as as an adult, looking at that belief. Do you freely choose that today? Does that serve you in your business and your role today? Because if not, let's hand back that hand-me-down belief. Regardless of where it came from or how long you've had it, there's no distinction, there's no truth to that belief being any more valid than the new belief you want to replace it with. So as an adult, why not look look at both of them on a piece of paper and decide which one may have ruled your life in the past, but which one's going to, which one you're going to choose to filter all of your future through. And for me, I remember in my (laughs) twenties, a conversation with my uncle. So that was a a true analogy where he said, if you were making a hundred thousand dollars, you're crushing it. Now, I was 24 years old when he said that, and it was, you know, a really long time ago. We'll leave it at that, (laughs) Uh, maybe 25 years ago. And at that time with no family, just looking out for myself, starting in my career. Yeah. A hundred thousand dollars was crushing it, but I never readjusted my belief about what was a lot of money until much later well beyond when $100,000 was no longer enough to fund my family, my lifestyle, the future that I saw for myself, my business, right? So my belief didn't keep pace with my lifestyle. And so I had to look at my belief and go, oh yeah, $100,000 was great when I was 23. I need a little bit more than that now. Now I need to up my belief about what I'm worth so that my actions and behaviors, the mechanics and the motion that I was engaging with would keep pace with my future goals and and direction of my company. And so when I go through a beliefs inventory with clients, they really get a chance to powerfully choose Based on the future they see for themselves, not based on past beliefs, what their actions will be.
0: Merit, this has been phenomenal information that you've shared today. Before we close down shop, though, I want to ask, what is the best piece of advice that you can give our listeners to truly tap into their emotional intelligence on a much deeper level and really get in tune with that sales mindset? What can they do today to really make that happen?
1: I would learn everything you possibly can about how you're wired early in my career. People told me, learn everything you can about other people, you know, so that you can figure out their buying styles and their buyer's language and their disc profile and all that. And what I missed was the person who's interacting with all of those different people is me. And the moment I expanded my thoughts to learn everything I can about how I was wired Then I wasn't in an argument with reality about what the future held because I could take control out of what I, where I was, who I wanted to be, how I wanted to interact with people. And that made all the difference. Emotional intelligence was a big game changer for me personally and my clients.
0: Well, Merritt, this has been an unbelievably value-packed conversation. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today to bring all of this to life. How can EOB Society keep this good thing going by connecting with you, checking out your book and your podcast and accessing your free sales assessment as well?
1: Best way to uh, keep in touch with me is uh, meritcon.com, M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N.com and throw a forward slash podcast on there at the end of that. And that'll take you some free resources. There's a let's talk button on the page. And uh, once you're on the site, you'll hear about, upcoming comedy shows, sales workshops, the book, the store with swag, lots of lots of things, but definitely connect with me there.
0: As always, those links can be found in the show notes. I encourage everyone listening to connect with Merit today. Merit, once again, thank you so much for joining me here on Evolution of Brand today.
1: Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it.
0: I don't know about you, E.O.B. Mafia, but I love a good conversation about mindset. It's a constant reminder of the importance it plays in everything that we do. A positive mindset leads to positive results. A negative mindset leads to negative or no results. It may seem very elementary, but the right or wrong mindset can literally be the difference between closing a sale that changes the course of your brand. I'd like to once again thank Merit for helping me move the needle today on Evolution of Brand. To get more from this episode, visit evolutionofbrand.com, click on that archives link, then go to episode 135. Or head straight to jasoncircone.comslash MeritCon for instant access to links, resources, and show notes. And I'm talking Primo notes. I like got an A. Want to support Evolution of Brand? Subscribe follow rate and review it's all appreciated but above all else recommend this episode of evolution of brand to one person in your circle who you know will be impacted by what they hear and with that episode 135 of evolution of brand is officially part of podcast history our time together today is over but fear not eob mafia because this party has only just begun and it won't be long till we're back together again for episode 136. Until then, jump back in the archives and relive some of the great conversations that have taken place right here on Evolution of Brand. Until our paths cross again, this is Jason Sircone reminding you to never stop evolving.